How do we make and multiply disciples around the block and around the world? With host Doug Lucas of Team Expansion, Lee Wood of One Body Church, John Hirima of Big Life, Roger Shull of E3 Partners, and special guests from around the world, we'll explore how believers can come together to make more disciples. Welcome to the More Disciples Podcast. All right, another episode of the More Disciples Podcast, actually episode one, or at least the first guest that we have for season two of the More Disciples Podcast. I am Roger Scholl, here with my co-host, John Harima. Hey, everyone. Doug Lucas. Hello, hello. And Lee Wood. Hey, everybody. Good to be back. Yes, absolutely it is. And I'm really excited for our guest that we have today, someone who has a wealth of uh, ministry knowledge and experience. We have uh, Pastor Rick Warren on with us, who you might know from either pastoring Saddleback Church or the Purpose Driven Life, but he wears a lot of hats, has um, uh, been involved in church planning. Actually, it was really cool that he shared with us before the episode started. He's planted four different churches, uh, Saddleback being the fourth. So he's planted overseas, he's planted inner cities, planted rural churches, and, and finally planted Saddleback. So as we here are just into church planning, disciple-making, multiplication, I'm just really excited to have him to talk about that. But maybe our listeners don't know uh, that Rick, uh, he is the executive director of Finishing the Task. Um, so so maybe, Rick, could you give us just a little intro for yourself? Like, how did you get, um, I mean, he could start from any different directions, but I'd love to know how you got involved with Finishing the Task. Just what is it for our listeners who don't know what that is? And What's the, what's the importance of finishing the task? Well, uh, I actually have to give you a little bit of history. When I was uh, in high school working at a Christian camp, it's where I uh, gave my life to the Lord and surrendered to the call of full-time Christian service uh, for the rest of my life. And I began preaching when I was 16 years old. Uh, they actually, I was the student body president of my high school and they changed it to student body pastor <laughs> because we had a revival and had a couple hundred kids come to Christ uh, in that high school. And the notoriety of that revival started getting me invitations to speak as a young man. And I had done over 120 evangelistic crusades before I was 20 years old. And uh, uh, that's when God... Uh, Billy Graham uh, actually uh, heard about this young, long-haired kid on the West Coast who was preaching up a storm, took me under his wing for the next uh, 50 years, and Billy was one of my mentors. Billy did three uh, giant evangelism training, discipleship training conferences in in uh, uh, Amsterdam, Amsterdam 83, Amsterdam 86, and Amsterdam 2000. He had me teach at each of those. Uh, in fact, he took my book on Bible study methods and had it translated into 17 languages. And I taught 13,000 uh, itinerant evangelists how to study the Bible. On the third of those in 2000, Amsterdam 2000, uh, Billy wanted to do a track for missiologists, experts in discipleship, church planting, evangelism, uh, and wanted to do a, a strategy session. I was on that planning committee. And uh, at that, we brought in about 600 people who were committed to the task of the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, uh, uh, making disciples, marking disciples, maturing disciples. And uh, out of that, 
uh, came uh, a movement called Table 71. It was, uh, we put uh, the leaders of the major missionary movements, uh, Campus Crusade, International Mission Board, uh, Youth with a Mission, uh, and, and on and on. These major organizations around the world uh, I actually didn't put myself at that table. I was at table 72 next door with Avery Willis because we were putting missionary heads of organizations together. At that meeting in 2000, we challenged those mission leaders uh, to go after the unreached, unengaged. Uh, unengaged, uh, in my terminology, means uh, no Bible, no believer, and no body of Christ. We call this the three Bs, no Bible, no believer, no body of Christ. And at that time, we thought that there were maybe 600 uh, tribes that still had no Bible, no believer, and no body of Christ. Well, we were wrong. Uh, and as over the years, we, we committed in that Table 71 group to uh, putting at least two indigenous missionaries in each of those, getting each of those adopted. Uh, that list grew to about 3,600 tribes. Um, and every time we'd go around a corner in the Amazon, we'd discover an, another another tribe that we didn't know about. Um, and so Saddleback uh, later began to host a weekly, uh, not a weekly, an annual finishing the task conference, which many of you guys have been at. Uh, and it's it's not like the typical conference, which is a preach-a-thon, where you just hear one sermon after another. But a lot of the time at the finishing the task conference, it's sitting around a table saying, okay, who's going to take that tribe? Who's going to be responsible for that group? Who's going to do that? And we have been systematically since the year 2000, taking uh, about a couple hundred tribes off the list each year. In 1999, at the conference at Saddleback in December, uh, we were down to, uh, I don't know, about the last less than 100 tribes that hadn't been adopted. Now, that didn't mean they were engaged. It meant that somebody had said, we will assume responsibility uh, for that unengaged uh, people group. I, I said, look, we're not going to go another year uh, with this thing undone. So whatever's left, Saddleback will just take those. Well, when we got to the end, they had all been adopted except the last about 60, 61 uh, different groups. And they all, all of those groups happen to be deaf groups, deaf groups. Now I know nothing about deaf ministry, but I then gathered all of the deaf uh, ministers together, different ministries, put them in a room and said, look, uh, I will, I will block and tackle for you. I'll be a champion. I'll raise money. Uh, let's get a deaf Bible done, which we did. Let's get this down to zero. In the early days, uh, Paul Eshelman was the leader of finishing the task. Uh, Paul had been uh, on the same committee that did the, the conference in the Amsterdam. And then Paul lost his wife, Kathy, after marriage of many, many years. And he felt it was time for him to step down. And so uh, Lauren Cunningham and Steve Douglas and Jerry Rankin and a bunch of other leaders from around the world asked me to step in. And I really felt like all my preparation at Saddleback and previous church plants and the, I've been in 165 countries. I've trained personally over a half a million. I think it's all of them, isn't it? 
Aren't there just 165 <laughs> or is there 169? Like it's pretty close. That's almost all of them. There's 197 uh, nations in the world. Uh, we have a decadal goal at Saddleback Church. My goal has always been to turn our members into missionaries. And so we set a goal in the 2010, uh, from 2000, 2010, to be the first church to go to every nation. You know, Jesus said, make disciples of every nation. I said, has any local, single local church ever actually done that? They said, why don't we be the first to literally go to every nation? And we developed a thing called the Peace Plan, P-E-A-C-E, plant churches, equip leaders, assist the poor, care for the sick, educate the next generation. Over the next eight years, uh, uh, we said by the end of 2010, we will have been in every single nation, P-E-A-C-E, planting churches, equipping leaders, et cetera. And on October 18th, 2010, uh, we went to Nation 197. It was a little island in the Caribbean called St. Kitts, uh, only 35,000 people, but we went there to plant a church, equip leaders, assist the poor, care for the sick. And so Saddleback is actually two, hosts two things that most people don't know. We're the only church in the history of Christianity to go to every nation. Uh, you know, and I know I did my doctorate in missiology. I know what tithe they means, but we said, let's go to the physical nations. Uh, uh, and then uh, the second thing is Saddleback is the only church to my knowledge in America that has more people involved in small groups than it actually come on the weekend. Uh, we have on a typical weekend, about 30,000 people attend, uh, but we have over uh, 8,100 small groups and have about 45,000 meeting in small groups. So when COVID hit, it didn't slow us down one bit. We just said, you know, go, go to your groups. In fact, COVID was our most effective, the last 18 months, our most effective evangelistic year. Now, anywhere else in the world, a small group is called a church. Okay, it's a house church, uh, or as we call them, rabbit churches. Uh, but we believe that's the, that single cell is the fundamental building block of, of the nation, and it's the fun uh, of the church. It's also the fundamental building block uh, of discipleship uh, that we grow in groups. The first thing Jesus did is he chose 12. Yeah. And in his ministry, he began with that. So yeah. anyway, when Paul resigned, uh, I was uh, elected uh, uh, head of FTT for the last couple of years. And now the big goal is AD 2033. And uh, this has been adopted by uh, those members of the uh, coalition of finishing the task. If our calendar is correct, if this really is 2021, 2021 years uh, since the birth of Christ, then Jesus gave the Great Commission in A.D. 33, right before he went back to, to heaven, right before the ascension, Jesus gave the Great Commission, our marching orders. That means 2033, which is only 12 years away, 2033 will be the 2000th anniversary of the Great Commission. And that is our new goal uh, in, in finishing the task. You guys have all been around and know that it, when the year 2000 was coming up, there were over a thousand Mission organizations, denominations, church planting, mom and pop ministries, over a thousand Christian organizations had goals around AD 2000. There's nothing eschatological about that year. It was just, it was just uh, 
a great place to have a goal for uh, church planting, for discipleship, for evangelism, and things like that. Sorry, that was a long introduction. No, it's okay. It's, it's actually perfect, so it's a good segue for what I wanted to talk to you about. First of all, thank you so much for stepping into that role. One of my mentors, Don Hayes, who was the executive um, um, minister for executive ministries under Bill Bright, was at um, that Table 71 conference in 2000. And um, I heard about finishing the task way before I was ever even involved in DMM or CPM by a guy that invested deeply inside of me. Don used to be a vice president for GTE, for whom I worked for um, back in the day. But a little background for me is I actually get to lead um, the North American region for 2414, okay? And so what's really cool is um, I'm working with Converge and Door International who are a part of reaching the deaf. And um, I'm super excited by the sovereignty of God because we're actually um, starting a deaf cohort to train deaf leadership in DMM and CPM over Amen. the next 14 weeks, because if we combined all the deaf everywhere, they'd make up 25% of the task. So we're already collaborating on that, and we don't even know one another like that. that that's, the, that's the prayer of Jesus. So the target on the wall for me has always been John 17, Amen. that we might be one that the world might know. So fast forwarding to to my question is my first childhood memory was my dad leaving me at the orphanage because my my mom had died, had no family, Um, came to faith at 23. And in the um, um, in the sovereignty of God, I met Curtis Sargent in 2013. And I was the first person that he trained in his home um, with Deb. In Dadeville, Alabama, and the patterns of first person that that Curtis trained in his home. He trained Deb, Deb, and Curtis in their actual home in Dadeville. I was in, as Curtis would say, class one, group one. (laughs) We're remarkably different, okay? But he invested deeply inside of me. And in Tampa, Florida, what's happened is we're a completely organic decentralized network of home churches, one body church that exists to multiply and launch movements that transform communities. So my question for you is we're already one. We're already a part of this and it's the same marching orders for everyone everywhere. So I'm really interested in your answer to this question because it's going to not only help me, I think it's going to help so many others. It's like, I think the enemy lies and divides. So what would you see as the best way forward for both traditional churches mm-hmm. and CPM, DMM movements mm-hmm. to collaborate and make their best contributions toward the task in finishing the task 2.0? Yeah. And I just, that's, he prays that, that that's how the whole world will know in verse 23 of John 17, that we might dwell together in perfect unity, that the world might know the father has sent the son. So I'll shut up now and listen to your response. Thanks. Well, what we need, that's a great question, Lee, to start off with. And what we need to do is what I call the great reversal. For almost 2000 years, uh, all church planting uh, was done through local churches. There weren't denominations. 
there weren't mission agencies. Uh, there weren't parachurch organizations. There weren't ministries that stood out alone. And uh, about 120 plus years ago, uh, we started doing the opposite where uh, people who had a heart for mission, a heart for discipleship, a heart for church planting, actually had to go outside the local church to get something done because a lot of churches, frankly, weren't interested in that. They were selfish, self-centered. They were consumer. They were us for and no more. And the rest of the world could go to hell. And people who really had a vision for world evangelism actually had to go outside the church to start another structure. Uh, and, and these two structures were talked about by one, another one of my mentors, uh, Ralph Winter, at the first Lausanne conference uh, and the whoop and the wharf of, of Christian ministry. The problem is this. All of the expertise on movements, church planting, discipleship, evangelism, uh, the, the purposes, the five verbs of the Great Commandment and Great Commission, all of that, most of that is outside local churches getting things done. And yet all of the volunteers are in local churches. And so what we have is like a typical football game, 22 people on the field desperately in need of rest and 22,000 in the stands desperately in need of exercise. So you're asking the question, how do we mobilize the latent energy that's sitting in the pew? And the answer is, is to make all of our existing mission organizations trainers of local churches. Now, let me explain when I'm talking about that, because that's where all of the volunteers are. Who else could do could send 23, 26,869 volunteers, but a large church like like I just did? Well, I have I have a glut of, of, uh, of volunteers during covid. We had over 13,500 of our members feed over half a million people, over 12 million pounds of food and led 27,000 people to Christ in the last 18 months. Why? Because the local church is as volunteers that are doing nothing unless they're mobilized. Now, what happened is for the last 100 years on the front line were mission agencies, uh, godly organizations, uh, church planting movements, things like that on the front line. I'm talking about Western, okay, Western culture. And back here is the church and they're saying, give us, uh, uh, you know, your money and give us your support and give us your prayers, but we're, we're getting it done. And to many of the people misconstrue that as pay, pray, and stay out of the way. How do I flip that and all mm. of a sudden get normal people using their business contacts, using their, their travel contacts, using their, uh, their, their global contacts, how do we flip that and, and all of a sudden put them on the front line, but we have all of this expertise training these volunteers. This would be one of my goals of, uh, of the great reversal in, in training that. Because the truth is there aren't enough professionals to get the job done. We'll never finish the task with just professionals. 
a follow up like on that and to transition to it, it, it to somebody else is like so in Tampa we're saying multiply disciples those rabbit churches you're discussing and businesses as churches mm-hmm. in a decentralized way so mm-hmm. we're functioning that way actually as a city church like a new testament city church in yeah. three different counties which would be just like what you're talking about uh, as viewing your um, life groups or your right. small groups as churches right. so we're doing that and i would wonder would do you see us being able to collaborate that way because we've birthed other ones like that in Houston, San Francisco, Louisville, Indianapolis. Can there be synergy between the traditional and the even the untraditional churches in fulfilling that role that you're talking about of training inside of there? And then I guess the second part of that would be is like, not everybody's like you inside of that par- inside of that paradigm and what you're saying like not everybody's a willing per- or like I'm not even I'm not sure and I'm not condemning because I love my brothers and sisters but it doesn't seem that they want to mobilize the way that that you're talking about man well you're no you're exactly right and the reason they're not willing to mobilize is because today we measure and reward the wrong thing exactly. The wrong thing. We need to change the way we measure success in church. We need to rewrite the rules. Today, most pastors and even many members uh, believe that success in, is measured primarily by size. Mm. They're wrong. Okay. They're dead wrong. Uh, instead of the 100 largest and fastest growing churches list. I'd like to see what about the 100 churches that started the most house churches that started the most uh, small groups uh, that planted the most churches that we re- you, you don't judge maturity by size. You judge maturity of a church or anybody else by the ability to reproduce. I don't care how large a church is. Uh, it may be just swelling. That's not growth. It, it may be just swelling. What I'm interested in is, do you have the ability to reproduce? Uh, do you? That is the mark of maturity. So don't tell me that maturity is simply a matter of doctrine. Uh, you know, how many verses can you quote? It is, are you, have you reproduced? That's good. We need to change the rules to multiplication and, and, and baby churches. That's one of the keys. It's great that's stuff. Really that's one good, of the that's one of the things I loved. I loved hearing you talk about in the when we were off air before about the the movement in India that you saw after that campaign. I think for me, Rick, the times that I've been in a meeting with you and seen you, uh, you know, going around and shaking everybody's hand during the early part of the meeting. I remember one. I think you systematically made sure that you shook hands and said something to all fifty of us in that room kind of methodically. Uh, can you say something to us about uh, the the conflict and the tension you felt between the big church uh, and the demands it makes on you as a person? I know we've heard yeah. uh, over the years the, the pressures that you've been under. Yeah. Uh, and then compare that to your personal nature, the way you've tried to be uh, one-on-one with people and model with them. And maybe that's a part of the strategy that we've kind of identified in these DMM, these disciple-making movements. Uh, Do you see that in the future that this personal modeling 
building is going to be essential in the kind of the culture that we've seen here in North America evolve. Doug, you're a genius. You just said everything I would have said. Okay. <laughs> uh, because the bottom line is the gospel always travels on relationships. Amen. Evangelism always travels on relationships. Discipleship happens through relationships. Uh, everything that happens in the five purposes of the church happens through relationships, not programs, not structures, but Amen. relationships. Saddleback was built actually on hospitality. Uh, one of the influential books that Kay and I read moving from Texas to California to plant Saddleback with just the two of us you know, I preached the first sermon. I had one member, Kay. Uh, she said it was too long. It's been downhill ever since. So. <laughs> but uh, one of the books we read is called Open Heart, Open Home. I believe it's still in print uh, by Karen Maines, which was basically the difference between entertainment and hospitality. That What did Jesus do? Everything he did, he did relationally. Here's the thing. Structures don't work in a thousand different cultures, but relationships work in any culture, in any culture. Love is always the key. Amen. And if I have not love, I am a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. You know, I have announced because uh, I, I want to be full time in FTT. The only thing that could take me away from Saddleback Church uh, is something bigger. And that is the fulfillment of the Great Commission in our lifetime. And then the next generation will have to do it again. And the generation after that will have to do it until Christ comes back. I mean, let's say we did get uh, a Bible believer in a body of Christ within distance of everybody in the world. And by AD 2033, well, there'll be babies born that year. And, and the next generation will have to deal with that. So I'm not, I'm not, kidding myself that the task will never be totally finished until Christ comes back. But as you know, um, it, it is a timetable that Jesus said, and this gospel shall be preached into all the world as a witness to every nation, and then the end shall come. Amen. So put away your maps and start witnessing. Put away your, your charts and start planting uh, churches. Uh, tiger churches, rabbit churches, and elephant churches uh, of all kinds. But th this issue of, of um, motivation, uh, one of the keys to, I believe, that we've missed out on is what I call the Nehemiah principle. Now, I just finished prince, uh, preaching through Nehemiah, and, and the Bible says that they built the wall till it got half its height, and then everybody got discouraged in Nehemiah 4, and they wanted to give up. They said there's so much rubble, and, 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 they, and, and people get tired. The workers are tired, and there was fatigue. Nehemiah didn't say, oh, we're just going to give up on the vision. Everybody's tired and discouraged. No, he simply reorganized and re-strategized, and he said, here's what we're going to do. You build the part of the wall behind your house. And he posted them by families. And he says, half of you, you know, uh, guard and half of you work and then you flip. Now that you build the part behind your house. Guys, this is the key to fulfilling the Great Commission. I, awesome. I remember many, many years ago, Paul Cedar coming to me. This is 30 plus years ago, uh, talking about Mission USA. And he says, I'm a, the director of Mission USA and uh, how do I get pastors interested in, in, in a national strategy? And I said, you know what? 
Typical pastors, I know I should care about world evangelism. I know I should care about church planning movements. I know I should care about the last, the least, and the lost. But I've got four Sunday school teachers sick. I've got a deacon upset with me. I've got a funeral. And and, uh, and, and my church is, is, is in crisis right now. And he's having a hard time. Very few people think bifocally, global and locally, very few people, and even fewer strategize global and local or global together. So what do you do? We take these typical pastors and we train them how to build the wall behind their house. And in that, they can expand. It expands their vision. The biggest myth about missions is that it is sequential. It's not sequential. It is simultaneous. Acts 1.8 is one of the most misunderstood verses in scripture. Most people and most pastors will read it like this. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the world. But it doesn't say then. It doesn't say then, then, then. It says and, and, and. It's not sequential. It's simultaneous. You have to care about the whole world no matter what size your church is. It's no sin to be a small church. It is a sin to have a small vision. Yeah, I love the goal by 2033. And, you know, we see so many new strategies and so many new trends happening in in ministry. As a leader of ministry, is there anything out there, strategies that people aren't doing, ministries aren't doing, that you just want to jump up and scream and say, why is everybody afraid to do this? Will that get us to 2033? What, What would that be? Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things we have to do is stop enabling local churches to outsource their mission responsibility. Uh, I can't tell you, I, I've talked to some very well-known mega churches and I asked them, what's your mission strategy? And they said, oh, we support. And they mention an organization. What they mean is as long as we give them money, we're off the hook. Yeah. You're not off the hook. Every disciple is called to make disciples. This is not, I mean, duh, uh, it's not like, well, I could pay, pray, and stay out of the way. As I said, you know, growing up in missions, in my denomination that I grew up in, um, mission education in the typical church meant this, pray, 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 then study, 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 study about missions, and then give, 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 give. It's never mentioned, Go. Going was never mentioned. What we did at Saddleback Church, I pastor a church full of missionaries. There's no church that has sent more people to more nations. When you, if you were to come and preach to 30,000 people on Sunday, you'd realize that the vast majority of them have served overseas. Okay, they, they've served overseas. Now, what happened is we reversed that. We said, okay, look, don't pray. <laughs> don't study. Don't give. Just go. Just go, just go. And you know what? What we discovered is when they come back, then they want to pray, they want to study, they want to get, because their eyes are open. They go, I had no idea the rest of the world doesn't live the way I do. I've been in a bubble. And when you have been to Botswana or you've been to Guyana or you've been to, uh, you know, the jungles in, in Southeast Asia, you come back, all of a sudden uh, a tennis bracelet doesn't mean anything to you anymore. Uh, it, it changes your perspective. And we have to get, here's the thing. 
When Jesus gave the Great Commission, it was physically impossible for the disciples to do. They couldn't go to the whole world. Uh, there were no planes, trains, and automobiles. There were no seafaring ocean vessels. They couldn't go to Australia. They couldn't go to Latin America. They couldn't go to North America. Everywhere you go, to either walk or you ride a donkey. So they could take it to the world that did that far, but they couldn't go any farther. Jesus often asks us to do things that are impossible. Yeah. But today, you can go anywhere in the world within 24 hours. If you don't believe that, ask your travel agent. You can get on a plane and say, I want to be in the Himalayas tomorrow. They'll have you in the Himalayas. In fact, this is funny. I just had a, a church member who came back from Myanmar and they said, Rick, you're not going to believe this. I was up in the highest levels of the Himalayas and I saw two things. One was a little kid walking around who had no pants on, little baby, but just a T-shirt. It was a saddleback T-shirt. And he said, the second thing was your book, Purpose Driven Life. He said, it's everywhere in Myanmar. It's just, uh, it's bootlegged, it's, cop it's photocopied, and it's by Ricky Warren. And I'm going, oh, that's great. That's, that's the test of good material. Nobody bootlegs, nobody copies stuff that doesn't work. Right. That's the test that it, it actually yeah. is helping somebody. And when I went to Columbia uh, and I met with leaders who were ministering, church planting with the FARC, the, uh, the, the rebels down there. And they were going in and I said, well, what are you using for discipleship? Oh, I said, oh, we're using Purpose Driven Life. We just ripped the cover off so they don't know it's written by a gringo. So John 14, 21 says, he that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loveth me and he that loveth me shall be loved to my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Yeah. Based on your last comments, um, I le left that training from Curtis, came back to my home, started obeying with my wife from my home in my own backyard, yeah. and Jesus had given the increase. So I started telling uh, people that I led to Jesus, your people I trained, I said, John 14, 21, and Curtis didn't like this. I'd say, hey, if you want to see the magic, you got to do the stuff, because if loving Jesus means obeying Jesus. And uh, he said, Lee, nobody understands what you're talking about. And I'm like, these guys understand what I'm talking about, but he really didn't like me referencing magic, you know? So like that that revelation of Jesus revealing himself to you. So um, I know John and I have um, um, close family members in Pakistan that says we're different. We're like Westerners are different from there because we realize that um, you guys want to understand everything in order to obey. We found out that if we obey, then we gain greater understanding. Amen. No, absolutely. Amen. That's absolutely true. The, the key to Great Commission is obedience-based discipleship. It, 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 go study the word do through Scripture. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Uh, teach them to do everything I have commanded you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. It's obedience-based discipleship. In fact, I came up with a little strategy uh, for our small groups. We called it CHAT, C-H-A-T. It's a little acrostic on, on a format you can use for obedience-based discipleship in your, in your groups. And C-H-A-T stands for this. The first thing when you get together is uh, check your progress. And that is, what did you do about what we talked about last week? Okay, what did you do about what we talked about? Did, okay, why are we going to teach you another truth if you haven't actually put into practice uh, what we did? 
check your pro check your check your progress. Um, then H is hear the word. Okay, and then we we look at the word together. Then A is assign a project. Okay, what are you going to do about it this next week of what we just did? And then T is tell somebody else. Yeah, right. But here's the thing. Um, we need all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. Um, uh, the, the, the rabbit church, uh, rab, I raised rabbits as a child because I lived out in the country. Uh, uh, most people don't know this. A rabbit, five minutes after she's delivered a baby, she can get pregnant again. Now, a pregnancy uh, is one month for a rabbit. And she can have up to uh, 10 babies at a time. So she could have a baby, uh, uh, have 10 babies, and then five minutes later get pregnant again, and the next month have 10 more. Theoretically, one rabbit could have 120 babies in a year. Okay, wow. that's rapid reproduction. Now, the strength of a rabbit church is it's simple, um, and it's multipliable, and it's reproducible, and it's sustainable. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles that a larger church has, but it, it gets the job done, and, it, it, and it's relational. It's totally relational. Mm-hmm. Once you get more than 10 people in a group, somebody stops talking, and, and you get people who are not participators. They are uh, wallflowers, okay? So, so you don't really, when it comes to small group, Small really is better, okay? Four is better than six, and six is better than eight, and eight's better than 10, because the more you get involved, the less responsibility I have to have in in the group. The tiger churches are where most churches are today. It was 75 people to maybe 150 people. And I call them tiger churches because it's almost impossible to kill a church of that size. It's very sustainable because they're not there. The pastor may have terrible preaching. Uh, the, the Somebody could run off with the funds. Uh, but it, it, churches that are 75 to 150 people, they are sustainable. They are tiger churches. They're strong because they're, they're based on relationships and fellowship. And, and that's good. Now, a tiger will only have... At the most, one or two cubs has has about a, a nine-month pregnancy, and then she's not going to get pregnant for another year. So they're stronger than rabbits in, in many ways, but they are not as uh, reproducible. They, they, they are sustainable. They are sustainable, but they're not so much reproducible. Now, the elephant church is what I would call the mega church. We don't need every church to be a mega church, but we do need some mega churches in mega cities where that when they mark, when, when an elephant walks, it shakes the ground. It, it gets noticed and it actually helps tiger and rabbit churches. If, if you have that heart to do so, it actually help. But t- an elephant only has, has a two year pregnancy and then it only has one baby. It's definitely not the model of reproduction for getting gritting the great commission. So we're always starting lots of uh, all of them. Amen. Well, I, I think it's awesome that you talk about all three of those kinds of churches and how you talked about how all are needed to get the job, job done, finish the task, I should say. And I love all the things you've even mentioned, stuff we talk about on this podcast all the time, relational before organizational, uh, not, not sequential, obedience-based discipleship. On that, on that relational or organizational. Here's, if you study the book of Acts, Organization is always playing catch up with the Holy Spirit. 
It's never, we organize it and then the Holy Spirit fills it. It's like, uh, you know, the church grows and then, oh, we probably ought to get some deacons to help here on this. Okay. Uh, it's, it's after massive growth that structure follows, uh, the spiritual, uh, uh, difference of the, of the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, you're, that was a good insight. Um, so that's about time that we have. And, uh, we so appreciate you being on and even, uh, excited about, uh, what you're doing just in so many different areas, but finishing the task, it's such an important a goal to have that common goal, even 2033, like let's get a Bible, a believer and a body of Christ in every people group. If I heard right, maybe you can send us off with just real quick. Like if somebody wants to be involved in the task and finishing the task, what's the best way to, for them to get involved? Well, what finishing the task is, is, is literally uh, serving everybody else who's doing the job. And it is, uh, it's in many ways, uh, a coordinating, convening, uh, coalescing people. I have announced my retirement from Saddleback Church, uh, that we've begun the search for my successor. And the only thing that could take me away is doing something bigger. And I, I am called, God has called me to, to do this full time to give the next 12 years of my life toward, uh, the fulfillment of a Bible believer in a body of Christ in every unreached place and on every unreached uh, people group. Uh, and to do that, it needs full-time leadership. I've been building a team. And the first thing I did is I started with prayer. I said in FTT 1.0, there was no prayer emphasis. So in January this year, I got all of the generals of the different prayer networks around the world together. And I said, I need you to start praying for world evangelism, for world discipleship, for fulfillment of the great commandment and the great commission. And I uh, appointed uh, a general for that. Then for each of the three B goals, I asked an experienced leader to, to be the coordinator of all the different networks that are out there. So, for instance, in church, uh, in a Bible, I asked John Chestnut, who is the president of Wycliffe Bible Translators. Uh, I asked him to um, be in charge of all Bible translation, coordination of what's being done, of Bible translation, uh, Bible distribution, and Bible engagement. For church planting, I asked Bekele Shenko. Uh, who is with GACX to help coordinate all the different, basically so everybody, the right hand knows what the left hand is doing in church planting. And then I asked Josh Newell, who's head of the Jesus uh, film, to be the head of uh, digital evangelism and all coordination of all the different evangelism uh, things that are going on out there. So if somebody wants to get involved, get their church involved, you can contact me, real simple, Pastor Rick at Saddleback.com, or you can uh, contact one of these leaders. You say, my heart's really church planting. My heart's really in Bible distribution and translation, uh, or my heart uh, is is really in uh, in evangelism. And of course, uh, we, well, we're planning to do uh, online conferences uh, for the next 12 years that will mobilize local churches to work with guys like you who are getting the job done. Uh, and, and I'm asking you, I, I'm volunteering to help be on your podcast so you can volunteer to train local churches. I'm All in. Right. That is a great send, thing. Send me. 
All right, I and we We're will in. take that to heart, and we we are right there for you. And thank you for all those ways that we can get involved with the task, finishing the task. And thank you so much for being on this podcast. It means so much. I love you guys, and uh, for the greater glory of God and the global glory of God. Amen. Thanks, Thank Appreciate you, brother. It. How are you making more disciples? What problems have you encountered? What successes have you celebrated? What questions do you have? Share your stories with us by visiting moredisciples.com slash contact. If you're looking for next steps on growing your ability to make and multiply disciples, visit moredisciples.com to find resources, tools, and events all designed to help you make more disciples.